Go the official show on the Fist Stripes podcast channel, talking Miami Marlins every single day, covering the team in our own way all year round. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fist Stripes. Hope you guys are doing great to start off a new week. As usual, these solo pods from me are presented by Symbol, the stock market for sports. On this episode, no big overarching theme. We're going to go really in-depth on these past three games between the Marlins and the Giants out in San Francisco. In some ways, the series kind of went as expected. It kind of reinforced some things we already knew about the current state of this Marlins team. At the same time, there were some very unusual uh, happenings in here and some individual performances that really stuck out to me, both for better and for worse. We'll get into those and what they could mean going forward for this team. We're going to pump the brakes on some of the outrage directed towards particular players, and at the same time, just trying to prop up some guys that may be flying underneath the radar. Then we're going to look forward to the next series on this long road trip coming up against the Brewers, beginning on Monday night in Milwaukee. The Brewers are a team kind of like the Giants that are overperforming what a lot of people expected of them during this early portion of the season. We're going to go in-depth on that upcoming series as well. We're going to lead off with a focus on our fish picks contest. If you're listening to this, there's a solid chance you know what fish picks are. Just to get everybody up to speed, this is the third year that we are running this contest on both fishstripes.com and on our Twitter account. Started in 2019, I realized that the team was not going to be competitive that year, and uh, that turned out to be very true. But we still wanted to put some stakes and some vested interest into every single game that the Marlins played. And I think I didn't go 162 deep. I got very, very close to doing fish picks props for every game of that 2019 season. We're generally speaking five props per game. You make your picks before first pitch for them to be eligible. And it's based on how uh, you think individual starting pitchers or position players will do in that game, whether one team, whether the Marlins or their opponent will be leading in a certain statistical category. And there are some fun ones too. I'd say actually probably more than half of the props are ones that you really can't analyze all that much, that there's a lot of randomness involved in this and variables that you couldn't possibly control. And, And that's part of the fun of it is that Pretty much anybody can do well as long as they're consistently playing fish picks. Um, And so we've played around with exactly how to run the contest and what sort of prizes to offer. From the beginning, that's been the constant, is that we do have prizes for the people that lead the contest in points for a certain amount of time. And uh, this coming year, I mean, it's bigger than ever so far here in 2021. That's probably an understatement, that this has surpassed all of my biggest hopes for the contest through what now 21 games of this season where we're consistently getting 60 70 80 90 even sometimes 100 different unique users making their fish picks every single game overall over 250 people have played along here not even one month into the season making their prop bets it's totally free to make the prop bets it takes just a few seconds to make sure that this contest reaches its full potential I set up a special form through Google Forms that has made it so much easier to score these individual games for people. Make sure that you're getting rewarded for individual picks instead of just focusing on 
picking a perfect game, which is what happens when you go five for five in in any particular game. And so we're making this transition to this new form that is, it's right there on the homepage, on fishstripes.com. You just scroll down a little bit and you'll see the headline about fish picks and you see the logo of Legends of Dade. Legends of Dade, for the moment, they are sponsoring the contest. They're partnered with us, really, where they're the ones offering prizes at the end of each month to the Fish Picks points leaders. You get a choice of any of the t-shirts on their website. All the t-shirts being offered are Marlins related. That's what they do. Great, clever um, homages to the history of the Marlins and what it's like being a fan both here in the Miami days and also throwbacks to when it was the Florida Marlins. So we're coming up on finally naming the first winner for the month of April and giving out that t-shirt, and we could do that as the year goes on as well. But I wanted to make people aware of this in case they, for some reason, find our podcast but don't know about Fish Picks. We, we tweet it out every single day on our Twitter account, and we post them every single day on fishtraps.com in our game thread articles. These go up several hours before the game starts so that you could see them. And just to make it easier, we have set up this form that, again, the link is directly on our homepage. The link I tweeted out every single day. That same link, it appears in all the game thread articles. You could just bookmark this page, this Google form, and refresh it once a day to make your picks, to join in on the fun. It's totally free to do this. And the final word about fish picks, just wanted to float it out there that if you have a small business, and especially if you're based in South Florida, just hit us up if you want to partner with us on fish picks. If you're willing to offer prizes on a monthly basis, maybe we can even play with the format and make the prizes more frequent. And if you have a little bit of disposable income to spend on this, because we want this to support our fish stripe staff and allow us to make this site in our community even more comprehensive. It takes some funds to do that, and if you're willing to make an investment in our Marlins coverage and to help sustain this contest, that'd be greatly appreciated. So you know how to find me on our Fish Stripes Twitter account at Fish Stripes. You could email me at eli.sussman at gmail.com. You could just leave a comment on any of our articles. If you're interested in sponsoring our contest and making these prop bets even uh, more engaging throughout the entire season, regardless of whether the Marlins win or lose. That's the whole point, is that no matter what, these games are happening, and we're so lucky to have a full schedule of Major League Baseball back. We want to make the most of it, and anybody that wants to help us, that'd be greatly appreciated. So just let me know. And aside from fish picks, I mean, people have fun with this, with putting nothing on the line, no risk, and uh, just fighting for potentially winning this one prize that we have available at the end of each month. But potentially, some of you guys really know this sport inside and out, or you know, if it's not baseball, maybe it's the NFL or the NBA. If you really know sports and you want to invest in that and profit off of that, then you need to check out our sponsors at Symbol. It's a stock market for sports where you trade the teams like stocks in these various sports. It blends everything you love about sports and the stock market so that you can profit off of those teams. You use your sports knowledge to buy low, to sell high, and earn cash payouts when these teams win more than 2,000 early adopters already with Symbol. We just had an article go up on Friday about Sim Marlins and how that stock has been trending early on this year. The current Sim Marlins share price, $27 flat. That's what it takes to get one share of Sim Marlins. Keeps going up if this team stays in the hunt and wins games. 
you can go to symbol.app, www.simbull.app to create your free account. And when you deposit, just use the promo code FISHSTRIPES for a $10 deposit bonus and get a share of Sim Marlins or whatever else that you really believe in of these teams moving forward. Visit symbol.app, promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word, for that $10 deposit bonus to help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know. Invest in sports. That's going to bring us right back to what I had mentioned up top in the episode, reviewing these three most recent games against Marlins and Giants, finishing up the first leg of this road trip. We, we covered Thursday's game on the small pot on Friday, where they lost that series opener against the Giants. Then on Friday, um, it started off on the highest of high notes with a Jazz Chisholm Jr. leadoff home run. First pitch with 19 mile an hour winds out to center field. And this is a high drive out to right field, a long way back, way out of there. People had been asking for it for a number of days to see Jazz move up in the lineup, especially when Starling Marte went on the injured list. It seems like such an obvious fit to move him up and get him as many plate appearances as possible. And he let off that game with that leadoff home run. Unfortunately, he got to the bottom of the first inning, and you could see immediately that Sandy Alcantara didn't really have it on that night. This was by far his shakiest outing of the 2021 season. I mean, he has set such a high standard this year uh, with the growth that he has shown, the the bump up in his velocity as if it wasn't high enough already, the consistency of his changeup. Like He was very quickly early on in the season making the case that he is one of the best players in baseball. And this was a small step back from it, but nothing to really overreact to because it was so apparent. Like You could actually see this on Thursday night, even the night before he started, that he was uncomfortable in this cold weather. He does not have a whole lot of experience of pitching in cold weather. And here against the Giants out in Oracle Park, right along the bay, these conditions are just very uh, unusual for someone like Sandy. And maybe that's to blame for it. Like he, he, He didn't go out there and and say that himself. He wouldn't want to admit that, that the elements got to him. But he issued four walks in this game in his five innings of work. Um, and his strike percentage, I think less than 60% of his pitches for strikes, which is a big drop down from where he was the previous few starts. Only four strikeouts, which wouldn't have seemed unusual at all uh, for his previous career. But so far, dating back to spring training, we've seen this improved ability to miss bats that he wasn't able to carry over into this outing. So despite that, I mean, almost everything went wrong for Sandy in this one, even allowed a home run, and yet still five innings, just two runs, two earned runs allowed against what was a fairly competitive Giants team. And so I come away from that not worried too much at all about it. In fact, just a tiny bit um, proud of how he handled that, knowing that he certainly was not in his usual top form. Um, Pitching out of the bullpen in relief of him um, was a shaky day for this group with Ross Detweiler putting a couple runners on and then Adam Simber bailing him out in the sixth inning, but then Simber in his second inning of work um, getting charged with three earned runs that allowed this game to kind of get away from the Marlins. We saw Jordan Holloway finally make his return to the active roster and appear in a game. People remember that one relief outing he had earlier in the season and we're hopeful to have him back in the mix. And so he pitched a scoreless ending in this one, 
setting himself up to potentially stick around on this roster for quite a while moving forward. We'll see exactly how long that lasts. Uh, going into the ninth inning, Friday night, Giants were up 5-1. to one. Uh, Barring a miracle, you knew that the Miami was not going to come back. And yet, in the top of that ninth inning, Jesus Aguilar goes deep against Jake McGee, against the closer of the Giants, a veteran pitcher. And Aguilar, at that moment, that was his first home run of the year. This is something I believe I'd mentioned on a previous pod, but I definitely mentioned it in an article on Fish Stripes about how the Marlins needed these power bats to step up in the absence of Marte, in the absence of Brian Anderson, that they needed these veteran bats to occasionally hit the ball out of, of the yard. Aguilar has done some positive things offensively this year uh, prior to the series, but he had not hit the ball over the wall. And the bottom line is that is such a big portion of where major league offense comes from in this era that you need home runs and you need it from guys that are batting so often near the top of the lineup. It wasn't enough to come back. Final score, Giants 5, Marlins 3, but that really got Aguilar rolling, as you're about to hear these next couple of games. On Saturday, the Marlins do finally take a game in the series, 5-2 to two the final score, a great pitcher's duel. I, I mean, not totally shocking when you saw the matchup between Pablo Lopez and Kevin Gossman, but... Both of them were even better than I think you could have actually expected them to be. With uh, Combined, Gossman and Lopez just combined the pitching lines. 14 innings, two runs allowed, four hits, only two walks and four hits in 14 innings, and they combined for 18 strikeouts in 14 innings. Guys that are coming off solid years, both of them, with these respective teams, but not huge swing and miss guys. With Pablo, what stuck out to me is his usage of his high-forcing fastball in this game. You know him for his signature changeup, and he did throw a lot of changeups in this game, and he had some success with that pitch, but his key in this one was that high fastball. His velocity was right where you'd expect it to be, uh, topping out around 95, maybe an occasional 96, and he was throwing it up in the zone. He was really hitting his spots with that pitch as well, not just high and over the middle, uh, but ones that were really painting the zone and occasionally getting some chases on that pitch as well. And a 2-2 on the way. Cut on and miss, 95 miles an hour. You repeat, you get outs like that. Really encouraging from Pablo. It lowers his season ERA to 2.93. It's just exactly what you want to see. So a guy that can dominate in multiple ways. We've seen him dominate with the changeup. I believe his previous start was the one where he struck out nine guys all on changeups. And to see him in this game take a very different approach to his success, that that leaves you just very optimistic about how he's going to handle the course of this full season, that he's going to find whatever is working for him best that night or whatever is the biggest weakness of his opposing lineup. He is someone that does a lot of research and that he's going to find what he needs to do to be effective on that night. And Gossman, we're not going to go too deep into the opposing players, but Gossman in this game, just a two-pitch approach, four-seam fastball and his splitter. And that was it. His fastball and his splitter, a two-pitch guy, and he threw the splitter 57 times. 
the Marlins had not seen a pitcher like him at all this year. They'd only seen a splitter thrown once in a relief appearance, I believe, from one of their previous opponents. But this was a pitch type that they had not gotten any practice against whatsoever. And Gossman went heavy on this one again and again and again against righties and against lefties and all sorts of counts. And just hats off to him, one of the best games of his career, if not the best one. So this game was tied heading into the ninth inning. And once again, Jesus Aguilar. 1-1 here in the ninth tonight. And he smokes this one to left center field. That is going oh. to go. Wow. A frozen rope to left center. And Aguilar with a two-run shot. Marlins take the lead in the ninth. A fun home run here. A fun. If you look at the particulars of it off the bat, it was just majestic to watch because of how quickly it went out. As uh, Peter Pratt of Miami Marlins UK would say was a piss missile off the bat of Aguilar. I pulled up the StatCast numbers on it. The launch angle, 16 degrees. It is vintage Giancarlo Stanton. That is the only comparison throughout recent history that we have data from, from StatCast. It is the only home run outside of Stanton that a Marlins player has hit at that super low angle. Very satisfying to watch in, t- in real time and just critical to the win probability of this game. It's high game, top of the ninth inning, and that home run puts them ahead for good. They added some insurance on this one. Corey Dickerson, he was a nice story coming out of this series because he had, I guess he had his triple right here. Yeah, this was his triple that he had, an RBI triple, and then he came around to score on a sacrifice fly. In this series, he was moving around really well on the base paths, and he uh, he's got he's still not hitting for power. You know, we saw Aguilar show up, obviously, two home runs to this point in the series, and then he added a third on Sunday. Spoiler alert. Dickerson is still not in that power game, but he is contributing in other ways, so give him credit for that. Uh, one of the other big stories from the Saturday game was the MLB debut of Jose Devers. I put it together an entire article just focused on how Devers did in this debut played almost the entire game. He played the first eight innings before being removed from for Miguel Rojas pinch hitting for him later on. Started at second base, and his main position throughout his entire professional career has been shortstop, but he, we saw beginning in the Arizona Fall League in 2019, started to play some second base, and in spring training with the Marlins, he's played a lot of second base the past couple of springs simply because of other veteran shortstops getting a higher priority there. And he did fine, almost perfect on defense. He had one play that was a relatively soft grounder up the middle that he had to range really far to his right and make an off-balance throw. And it turned out to be an infield single because his throw kind of yanked Aguilar off of the bag. Uh, aside from that, nearly perfect. Uh, involved in, what, two double plays? One, one double play that he was involved in in the later innings of the game a couple other routine grounders. At the plate, as expected, he was overmatched, struck out three times. He was batted three times against Gossman. In every single at-bat, he had a, a swing and miss, and several of them that were outside the zone entirely. That his decision to even be added to this active roster, it's questionable. I mean, there's really no way to make the case that he is ready to be a productive major leaguer right now. He has no regular season experience above the high A level. He did have the fall league. He did have major league spring training, and he did travel along with the big league club on the taxi squad a little bit last year. 
but it's still hard to understand why he was the choice to be on the taxi squad this time and to go on the active roster at this moment, replacing the injured Brian Anderson, because the minor league season starts in about a week, and I think it's safe to assume that if not by the time that season starts, if not very shortly after, that he'll be optioned back down in order to get reps at a level that is actually appropriate for him. He's not ready for this challenge quite yet. Um, I mean, the challenge that the Marlins are facing is that their 40-man roster is full, and really the root of this situation that they have was, you have to point to the Jorge Alfaro injury, because when Alfaro went on the injured list, they needed to add a backup catcher to their roster, and that was Sandy Leone. So with Leone, he was not on the 40-man at the time. They had to select his contract, put him on the 40-man, take up that last remaining spot, just in order to obviously field a team, knowing that you need two catchers, and that took away all their flexibility. I mean, someone like Eddie Alvarez, we saw him in the majors last year, similar skill set as Jose Devers. I mean, he's a lot older and he has much less upside long-term, but he does have major league experience and he does play the same positions that Devers does. Even if you want to go a little deeper into the organization, they signed Luis Marte to a minor league deal with a non-roster invite to spring training. It wasn't particularly impressive what we saw from him in the spring, but He's another guy who has plenty of high-level minor league experience, I think as high as AAA. He's played professionally in the Dominican Winter League, including this past season, that even him would be like the more logical choice if you had that wiggle room on the 40-man roster. Because they didn't, they went with Devers, who's already on the 40-man. He started this game, and I'd be surprised if he started any more than maybe one other time this upcoming week in their road trip. And then, I mean, as soon as they get back to Miami, I think they're going to figure out some other way to, to, to like, just to be fair to Devers and to put him in a situation that's most appropriate for his developments and to put bring up somebody that can actually help him win games at the major league level. Uh, the other takeaway from the Saturday game was Magnera Sierra. This was his first start of the entire season. He'd been on this roster for what was the first 19 games of the regular season without starting a single time. And finally, they find room for him, uh, playing him instead of Lewis Brinson. We'll get into Brinson shortly about the Sunday game. And uh, Sierra, he ends up drawing two walks, both in the later innings, including the one right before the Aguilar home run. He was the one that got on base right in front of Aguilar for what turned out to be the uh, game-winning home run. And he also made a great diving catch in center field as well that we already know that about Sierra, that he can handle all the outfield positions. He's a plus on that side of the ball. And, uh, I mean, his ceiling is relatively limited. He he certainly has his big supporters among the Marlins fan base. Um, So I understand why he's on this roster and the role he has to play. Um, That being said, I think we should, you know, keep our expectations in check a little bit. You can't even put him in the same stratosphere as someone like Starling Marte, that that is a big void, and we knew it when that injury happened, that the team would get very significantly worse. It it leaves such a void that they simply cannot replace. They don't have any single player at any one time that can replicate what Marte does in all the different facets of the game. And then very quickly on Sunday's game, I mean, I'll be honest with you, 
when we got about three innings into this one with the Marlins trailing three to nothing, this was one of the first games all year that I seriously contemplated just turning it off and just coming back to it uh, later on and just catching up to it when it was over, thinking that it could really turn ugly. We had Craig Mish out here tweeting about, uh, oh, the Marlins are going to over under seven and a half pitchers the Marlins will use in this game. Which position player do you think they're going to use in this one to help just get them through the ending? And, I mean, to the credit of this Marlins pitching staff and their defense, they tightened it up as the game went on, and they kept the game kind of in play for them until the very, very end. The final score ends up being 4-3, to three, losing to the Giants and wrapping up the series by losing 3 out of 4 to the Giants. Uh, this The opener in this game was Ross Detweiler making his first start in nearly two years at the Major League level, but it was just uh, in, uh, an opener situation because of the forecast, understanding that rain was in the forecast for this game. They were worried about potentially having a rain delay in the early innings, and they didn't want to lose their starting pitcher um, in that event, knowing that it was ready going to be a challenge for them to patch together all these innings. So Detweiler pitched a scoreless first inning, got removed for the real bulk guy in the situation, Paul Campbell, who their Rule 5 draft pick, who has not been impressive so far during his rookie season. And in this one, he was not impressive either. The first inning that he appears in this game, he allows three runs in the bottom of the second inning, uses 42 pitches. But I think Campbell showed enough to certainly earn him a start when we go the next time through this rotation. That spot comes up again. It will come up again during the Nationals series on the final leg of this road trip. And I would fully expect Campbell to make that start. I mean, one of the main reasons because of the lack of flexibility on their roster. I already said it, the full 40-man roster, Campbell being a Rule 5 guy cannot be options. And to my surprise, he stretched out to 73 pitches in this one. I did not believe that he would be able to go quite that far, but that's only a small step below actually you know, a normal starting pitcher's workload. And I mean, the positives in this one is that really all of his secondary stuff looks promising. It's his fastball that continues to get Campbell into trouble. I cannot understand why he threw 60% fastballs in this game. I mean, even for the this year overall, he's throwing over 50% fastballs. And I mean, historically, that's kind of what you expect from a starting pitcher. But we're in a new age where you should just use the stuff that actually works for you. And with Campbell, he's getting into trouble almost entirely because of his fastball, which does not have it has a great spin rate. I mean, that's something that we've already known about Campbell that's made him intriguing is the spin rate on his fastball. It's simply not getting the job done. He's not locating it as well as his other pitches, and it certainly doesn't have the velocity to get by hitters as much as you'd like it to, but his secondary stuff looks pretty fine, and I'd be curious to see what he looks like if given a more traditional start, actually entering in the top of the first inning instead of you know entering in the second inning and what difference that can make for his his mental state and his preparation for him to do that. So don't panic about Campbell. I admit that for the season overall, he's looked shaky. I don't think he by any means should be guaranteed a roster spot for the whole year or even half the year that you need to continue to evaluate this as things go on. But next, his next start is going to be a very important test for him because Marlins really need to fill out this rotation 
for the foreseeable future with other guys coming back from injury and with the team, for whatever reason, very reluctant to sign old friend Anibal Sanchez or to sign any of the other uh, veteran pitchers that are available, that they're going to go with internal options. Uh, well, these options actually have to perform to kind of earn their spot moving forward. Looking on the offensive side of the ball, extremely frustrating for the vast majority of this day. Logan Webb, seven scoreless innings. So a guy that, frankly, I knew nothing about prior to this game, and I'm sure you probably didn't either. Uh, he was struggling. He was struggling for the early portion of this year throughout 2020. And then in this game, it just goes to show how anemic this offense can be for the Marlins, that they were able to, unable to really do much of anything against Webb while he was in the game. But as has been the custom the previous couple games of the series, that they end up rallying against the bullpen of the Giants. They score two runs in the eighth inning, thanks to, guess who? Jesus Aguilar, again. They may have just done that. This is a drive to deep left field. There goes the shutout. And for the third day in a row, Jesus Aguilar has himself a two-run home run. That's three home runs in as many days. It ties his career high for a streak of that kind. And you look at his numbers all of a sudden, and after having concerns about the lack of power he was providing, this boosts up his numbers to uh, an ideal level. I mean, he now has a 137 weighted runs created plus. That is 37% better than league average hitting, which would be a career high for him. He has never hit that level before, even when he was that what borderline all-star with the Brewers a few years back. Even that was a 134 WRC plus that he is now that same guy that he was with the Brewers. And he's doing it though with a different style where, I mean, outside of these home runs, it's fascinating to see how much he makes contact and puts the ball in play. And when he's doing both of those those things, as he was during this series, he is exactly what you need in the heart of the order. So you, you come out of this series against the Giants, even having lost three of four, feeling very encouraged about Jesus Aguilar. As I said earlier, encouraged about Corey Dickerson, who finishes up this series now batting 304 for the se- for the season. He leads the team in hits, and his his defense is it's a little better than I think what we saw last year. And his base running really sticks out to me. His base running is definitely better than it was in 2020. And he showed that a little bit more in Sunday's game too, including beating out an infield single. The other key storylines from the Sunday game were, let's go with Adam Duvall getting the start in center field because we know what Brinson's limitations are all too well. And same thing with Magnera Sierra, despite the promise that he showed a little bit at times on Saturday that to give this team their best opportunity to score runs, you cannot go with either of those guys in the lineup. Instead, they put Duvall in there, and he he had a quiet game overall offensively, but the key was defensively what he showed, making a, a couple difficult catches in deep center field of that ballpark. His first time ever starting a major league game at the age of 32 in center field. He'd never started there before throughout his entire career, and he seemed very adequate out there. Uh, I mean, this is like a broken record at this point, but nobody is going to replace Starling Marte, and uh, Duvall defensively certainly is not going to do that same impression. His range is going to be more limited than Marte's is, 
But the fact that they have that option of playing him in center, even though they didn't really do it at all in spring training, and as I mentioned, he hasn't done it at all in the regular season until now, that this is a very intriguing element to his game, and it's a big relief, I'd imagine, to Don Mattingly. I, I'm, I'm certain that this will not be the last time that you see Duvall out there in center field. At the top of the order, we had Jazz Chisholm Jr. again, and this was one of his worst offensive games of the entire year. I, I think pretty much his worst. It's hard to even make the case that there's been a lower point for him. 0 for 5 with three strikeouts, and if memory serves, I think all three of the strikeouts were chasing outside the zone, which is uncharacteristic of what we saw from him at his best just uh, in the previous few weeks. But I think this is great time for a overview of what Jazz is doing this year, even with this 0 for 5 and overall what is now an an 0 for 12 slump that he's in with six strikeouts in that span ever since the leadoff home run on Friday. His season stats still hitting 270, still has an OPS of 904. He's still on pace for 31 home runs and 31 stolen bases. I have I've I've bristled a bit when people insist on calling him a superstar and like kind of elevating him to a certain status over such a small sample, and I maintain that's still the case. At the same time, when you see these numbers, if he simply stays on this pace for the entire season, I mean, everybody would be absolutely thrilled with that. He'd be one of the best players in the league. That's what you need to realize, is even with this slump baked into it, he is doing an incredible all-around contribution to this team, and that he is not a perfect player. He is a perfectly marketable player, uh, maybe the perfect player that for Miami's needs at the time, considering the uncertainty at second base, both short-term and long-term. But he has some swing and miss to his game. I don't think that is ever going to go away, and it certainly is not going to go away immediately as a 23-year-old rookie going through a league that is going to quickly make adjustments to what he does and force counter-adjustments from him, that there will be streakiness in Jazz's offensive game, but we know what he brings defensively and on the bases, including a good defensive play in this game on Sunday that helped save a run in the first inning, that, I mean, don't get greedy with Jazz. I mean, he's already spoiled us enough with everything that he's doing. If he simply is anywhere close to this player through the entire season then it is like hitting the jackpot. As promised, we finish up this podcast episode with a look ahead to the Marlins and Brewers series, Monday to Wednesday at American Family Field in Milwaukee. The Brewers are one of the feel-good stories of the early portion of the season, I suppose. They are in first place in the National League Central at 13-8, and a full two games up on the rest of the pack. They have, if I have this correctly, they have the second best run differential in the National League, only behind the reigning World Series champion Dodgers. Uh, I mean, we start with the first thought that comes to your mind when you think Brewers, and that's Christian Yelich, old friends from the Marlins, uh, five years of the Marlins and now entering his fourth year with the Brewers. He will not be playing in the series. He suffered a lower back issue um, about a week and a half ago. He's eligible to come off the injured list, but he's not ready to return. He's not back to 100% yet. They had him go and undergo an additional MRI on Saturday, and they announced those results. 
There's no structural damage in his back. It gives him confidence that he could return relatively soon in the near future, um, but not during this series. He will not be involved during his upcoming few games. We have, I'm sure you remember that in previous head-to-head matchups with the Marlins, he's done a lot of damage. He's done a lot of damage against just about everybody in the majors since that trade, but including the Marlins. So the Mar- they catch a break with him being out of the lineup. And to be frank, the rest of this offensive group is underwhelming, to say the least. That This is uh, does not have a whole lot of offensive talent, and they're coming off a year in 2020 where that was kind of what held them back from being a, a good team is the fact that their offense underperformed. Uh, a bright spot for them has been Colton Wong. They signed him in free agency. He actually missed already a chunk of time with a minor injury and just got back from the IL. But when he's been in the lineup, he's been an on-base machine for them. Uh, you'll recognize Jackie Bradley Jr. He signed in free agency this past year, not doing much of anything offensively, but he is, as always, awesome in the field, and he's been playing a lot of center field in place of Lorenzo Kane. But the one guy we need to talk about for this Brewers lineup is Omar Narvaez, their veteran catcher. And he is, if you look at his statistical track record, it is a wild ride that for his career in his previous teams, the White Sox and the in the Mariners, he was a great offensive catcher by this relatively low standards of catcher offense, but he was shaky defensively in a variety of aspects of the game that the Brewers did not pay up much to acquire him a couple off seasons ago. And they thought uh, he could be a good bargain if he just kept hitting the way he used to. Instead, he imploded at the plate, put up a 562 OPS, uh, like a 50 weighted runs created plus in 2020. But his defense took a big step forward. And they give that a lot of credit for how they improved on a run prevention standpoint. So he kind of, his entire profile flipped around in 2020, his first year with the Brewers. Now here in his second year with the Brewers, he is putting it all together. He is arguably the most valuable catcher in baseball in 2021. Omar Narvaez is one of the MVP candidates, the very, very early MVP candidates this year. OPS over a thousand, nearly as many walks as strikeouts. And defensively, he is doing a great job controlling the running game, calling pitches, blocking pitches. He's already up to four defensive runs saved in less than four weeks. So that's on pace to be uh, just the elite of the elite on that side of the ball as well. He has been a star for them. He is one of the great bargains in baseball. Uh, Someone that is going to come down to earth eventually, but the Marlins are catching him at the wrong time because he is doing an incredible job. And the headliner for this Marlins, for this Brewers team, excuse me, is it's not the offense. It is the run prevention And it is led by their just, they have an embarrassment of riches on their pitching staff. And we're going to see the real, the motor behind their success in the series opener. Corbin Burns, who I guess somewhat under the radar last year, he may have been the, one of the best pitchers in baseball in 2020, I guess overshadowed by someone like you Darvish, but outside of you Darvish, the second best starting pitcher in that division, he has continued to ascend. A guy that just a couple years ago was totally lost. Uh, You'll see, if you look at his stats from the 2019 season, that he was, 
I mean, he was a disaster, wasn't even in the rotation much of that year, but took that mammoth leap forward in 2020. And now here in 2021, he is he is untouchable, virtually perfect this year. He has allowed one run through four starts on a solo home run, and that is it. Outside of that, he has not walked a single batter in 24 and a third innings. He has struck out 40 batters, nearly half of the batters he has faced, he has struck out so far this season. A 0.37 ERA, it is almost identical to Jacob deGrom's stat line. That is the company that he is keeping. Those two have distinguished themselves this year as the most dominant pitchers in baseball. Marlins, uh, they were able to take care of deGrom. They got one big home run from Jazz Chisholm Jr., and that was enough in that game. Who's going to step up on Monday night against Corbin Burns? Because he is performing at that same level. Fascinating pitch mix. He leans very heavily on his cutter, and he throws that cutter consistently in the mid to high 90s. So the, the combination of movement and velo and command, it has totally overwhelmed his competition so far this year. And we know that he's affecting this Marlins lineup at a vulnerable time that even when they use the kind of lineup they did versus the Giants, that in that type of situation, there's they get power from Jesus Aguilar, and they can get some power from Jazzism Jr., and every once in a while, Adam Duvall will run into one, but there are t- still tons of question marks in that lineup. I know everybody's frustration with the Marlins catcher position. I guess I should have brought that up a few minutes ago, that the contrast between the Brewers and the Marlins at catcher could not be more extreme, whereas the Brewers, that has been such a key for them in leading them to this first place start, and the catcher is what's been holding back the Marlins and will continue to do so, especially with Jorge Alfaro out of the mix for the near future with his hamstring injury, that in many ways these teams have a big contrast from one another. Uh, The bullpen for the Brewers at the back end, a couple of the true emerging stars of relievers in baseball. Well, Josh Hader is already established as the guy you never want to face at the end of games. This year, he has allowed one hit in his first six and two-thirds innings. That is it. With Devin Williams, Devin Williams was the National League Rookie of the Year last year. He's been much more uneven so far this year, struggling with his control, and he's even allowed three home runs, which is hard to imagine with the special changeup that he has and how usually it's so hard just to put the ball in play against him that they may, they're getting him at a fortunate time. But other guys in that bullpen have stepped up. This guy, JP Fireisen, I can't tell you much about him other than his cool name, but he is a 0.00 ERA through 10 and two thirds. Brent Suter has been around with the Brewers a while and he's off to a great start. Old friend Brad Boxberger is doing great for the Brewers so far. He did not make their opening day roster, but was added shortly thereafter, and now he's some pitching some important innings for them. They have a deep bullpen. They have a deep rotation as well. Even though the Marlins are avoiding uh, Brandon Woodruff, their number two starter, they're still in line to face uh, some other really nasty arms in the series on Tuesday and Wednesday. That uh, Runs are going to be hard to come by, especially with, given where the Marlins are at this stage with their available players. It's going to be Adrian Hausen, Adrian Hausen, Adrian Hauser for the Brewers on Tuesday, opposite of Daniel Castano for the Marlins. Then on Wednesday, the Marlins have Sandy Alcantara going and still to, de- to be determined who the Brewers are going to use 
for that series finale uh, against the Marlins on Wednesday. But it's going to be an interesting series, even without the Yelich storyline. We still have Brinson going back to his previous organization. He did hit a home run in Milwaukee a couple of years ago, um, three years ago now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're pretty far away from those nice flashes that he showed early in his Marlins career. But maybe he starts at least one game in the series and tries to produce. Uh, just so many storylines to keep track of. And at this point, we're already running over time with this podcast, going into detail about where the Marlins have been, where they're going, right in the middle of a 10-game road trip. So I thank you guys for listening. As always, we will have our small pods coming up throughout this week on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Another pod episode with me also coming out on Thursday where we hope to have a special guest. Stay tuned for more details about that. And in the meantime, on Monday night... Because it is the start of a new Marlins series, as always, we will be streaming live on Twitter, on Twitch, on YouTube, at the Fish Stripes accounts. It'll be me, Ethan Badowski, our new intern, Kevin Barral. Tune in to listen to us talk about this upcoming series in more detail. Thanks for listening, guys. Keep tuning in. Rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcast. I'm Eli Sussman. As always... Go fish.